A big topic that we're going to be talking about today is the idea of passion or lack of passion. Now, I think I'm a pretty passionate guy. I get into all these weird hobbies and I get obsessed with them and they become my personality and then they change two weeks later. Um, I actually just learned recently that you can look at your old Instagram bios. Now, unfortunately for me, I grew up in a generation where I had Instagram as a kid. So you can look back at all the embarrassing things you posted when you were a kid and stuff. And I was looking through all my old Instagram bios and every two weeks or something, it would change to a new hobby or personality or passion that I had. So it's like Clay Wilson, Fisher. Clay Wilson, future NFL player. Clay Wilson, future NBA player. Whatever it was, my passions change often and I love them and they consume me a little bit. Now when you're passionate about something and when you love something, it, it overflows and people know that you love it. People know that Pastor Mike loves fishing. People know that I love football. And unfortunately for my wife, she gets to hear about every single fantasy football draft pick that I make. When you're passionate about something, you share it and you open up about it and people get to hear it. If I were to say, oh, I love that, or oh, I'm all about that, and my wife, Chantille, had never ever heard me talk about it before, she would probably start to be like, you don't love that. What are you talking about? You do not love vegetables. You don't love vegetables no matter what I say, because she knows me. You know, if you know someone well, you know what they're passionate about. When you're passionate about something truly, it overflows and people get to know it. And when you're not passionate about something, people know that you're not passionate about it because you don't talk about it. It's not a big part of your life. When we love something, it's a part of us. That passion shows through. And today we're gonna be focusing on the idea of having our passion show through and, and not have a lack of passion. I am continuing us today in our Revelation series, and we are journeying through the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Just a reminder and a quick recap before we get into this message, we are reading Revelations, and we are focusing on this one main idea of Revelations. The book of Revelations is for us, sometimes we think it's a confusing book, but it really is for us to behold Jesus. The whole idea of this book is for us to be in awe of Jesus, to realize the love that Jesus has for us. And how are we supposed to read Revelations? How are we supposed to behold Jesus as we read this? Well, when Pastor Derek Hamry was here speaking, he, he did a good point on this. And, and we are supposed to read Revelations exactly how the people in the original context were supposed to read it. So when they wrote these letters to the people, we are supposed to understand what it meant for them at the time and take that into our own lives and see how practical it is for us. Now we know that John was a prisoner on the island of Patmos, just off of Asia Minor, and it was this island that they would put prisoners, and it's far away that you're not swimming to land, but it's, it's close enough that you can kind of see the cities, which I think actually makes it worse, that you can kind of see the people, you can see everyone living their life, yet you are a prisoner on this island, and this is where John is. He's a prisoner on this island, and this is where Jesus reveals himself to John. Jesus shows up on the island, and John sees him, and Jesus is in the middle of these seven lampstands that we've been talking about the past couple Sundays. Now, these seven lampstands are representing the seven churches in the area, and Jesus is standing in the middle of them because he is saying, I am not just in heaven somewhere watching, but I, I am here. I am a living God. I am in the middle of the churches. I am in the middle of all of these churches in Asia Minor, and he's in the middle of our church today because he is a living God. When Jesus reveals himself to John, he comes with a letter for each of the seven churches represented by the lampstands. 
And today we're going to be focusing on one of the letters, and this letter is the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Laodicea. Can everyone say Laodicea? Laodicea. You got it faster than I did. So Jesus writes this message for Laodicea, and I'm going to read the whole letter for you guys to start, and then we are going to break it down verse by verse. So if you would join me in Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Jesus says this in his letter to Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a pretty powerful chunk of scripture. Jesus is pretty aggressive in this scripture. And Jesus introduces himself at the beginning in a unique way, and we all know how important introductions are. Nobody ever wants to make a bad first impression or introduce themselves in the wrong way. We've all probably had a bad experience introducing ourselves. Speaking of the fall and everyone going back to school, this was not good of me, but when I was in grade 11, we used to get excited in the fall because all the exchange students were going to come. And we can either make new friends or we can meet some of the girls that are traveling to our high school. And I was very excited because there's this one very nice exchange student from Spain. And I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to go talk to her. I'm going I'm to try to talk to this girl. And I built up all the courage that I had, and I made a game plan in my head on how I'm going to go talk to this girl from Spain. And I thought I was going to do a great job by relating to her and relating to where she's from, because she doesn't know much about Canada yet. And it was so nice of me to go up to her and start talking about how cool it is that she's from South America and how bad I want to go visit South America I've always wanted to go to Spain. She didn't speak much English, but I understood her laughter. And she walked away pretty quickly. Think a little harder. That's what I told myself that day. Game plan a little bit better. So hopefully I game planned a bit better today. Bad introductions and bad first impressions are not fun. It doesn't lead to good things. And Jesus makes a pretty unique introduction here. Jesus has introduced himself to the seven churches in all these letters, and it's typically always who he is or what he does in a way that's relatable to the people he's writing to. And here in the message to Laodicea, he introduces himself as the amen and the beginning of God's creation. Now, it's important to understand what this would have meant at the time. This is not the first time we've seen himself call himself the amen in Scripture. 
In Isaiah 65, it says, he is called the God of the Amen. This is a name that's been used before. But Amen is not just something we say. It actually has a good meaning. The word Amen, it basically means it's the agreement of truth, the, the infinite truth. So if you are saying Amen to something, you are agreeing because that is true. So that's why in churches, when someone on stage is saying awesome things, you guys say Amen. amen. You are agreeing on the truth that is being shared. So when Jesus is introducing himself as the Amen, he's introducing himself here as the truth. Jesus is the truth, the one and only truth, all true. So we know that Jesus says, I am the Amen, the true. And he introduces himself as the beginning of God's creation as well. Now it's important to note that when Jesus is introducing himself and when Jesus is saying that he is the beginning of God's creation, he is not meaning that he is the one God created. He is not a created being. He was not God's first creation. But in the original text, the Greek translation for the word beginning is the word arche. Can everyone say arche? This word arche means the source or the origin. So Jesus is not saying that he was the first creation when he says he's the beginning of God's creation. He's saying that he is the creator. Arche means the source or the origin. So Jesus is saying he is the origin. He is the source of creation. Everything that we know, our bones, Jesus is in our DNA. He is in everything we know because he is the creator, not the created. Stanley Jones says this when we're talking about Jesus' creation. The discovery of the face is going to be the greatest adventure of the future. If you were created by Christ and for Christ, then he is inescapable. You cannot jump out of your skin. If you revolt against Christ, you revolt against yourself. God has us hooked. We may run away in short excursions of freedom, but he reels us in. The facts are against us. Jesus created us. He is in our very fiber. We are created by Jesus and for Jesus. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has said this. We, he, he has introduced himself as the amen, the truth, and now he's introduced himself as the arche, the creator. And he's kind of reiterating John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Jesus is the creator. Now, why are these introductions so important? When we look at the actual geography of the city of Laodicea, now this is kind of the nerdy Bible stuff that I love to get into. So when we look at the geography of Laodicea, there are three cities close together. There's Laodicea, six miles away is a city called Aeropolis. Ten miles away, there's a city called Colossae, which is the city that Paul wrote his letter of Colossians to. So we know that these three cities are closely bunched together, and that is important because they share a lot of the same thoughts and beliefs. In the book of Colossians, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, which is just 10 miles away from Laodicea, and his letter was to address some heresy. There was belief in this, in, in this church that, that Jesus was a created being, or at best, he was angelic. Now, this city is only 10 miles away from Laodicea, so people think that these, these, this heresy and these thoughts and these beliefs were shared between communities, and we actually know that it pro most likely was, because in Paul's letter at the end, he says, Make sure this gets shared with the church in Laodicea. So Paul knows that that message was important to them too because they had these thoughts that Jesus was a created being. Which is why it's so awesome that Jesus relates to them by instantly introducing himself as the creator, going against the heresy, going with what Paul taught them. 
Now, Paul has gone against their beliefs, and he, and he even introduces Jesus as the Arche, the creator, in his letter. And there's a pastor I know who, when he reads this passage of Scripture, he changes all of the he's and him's to the name Jesus to help us get an understanding. So in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, it says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the goodness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. This is showing that Jesus is culturally aware. He understands that these thoughts and ideas are being shared in the cities, and he's reiterating Paul's message of him being the creator in such a precise and short introduction. I am the truth and the beginning of all creation, immediately reiterating what Paul shared with them. Jesus continues in his letter in verses 15 and 16 saying this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now this, this letter to Laodicea is probably the most famous out of all the letters written to the seven churches. And a lot of that is due to this passage here. Talking about the idea of being lukewarm. Warm. Most of us in here have heard before the idea of being a lukewarm Christian or being a lukewarm church. This idea of like, we've often thought of it like this, that the idea of lukewarm is like kind of passionless. You know, you have a relationship with Jesus, but there's not much to it. You just kind of say it, you don't live it out, which is true. But the other thought that comes with that, that we're going to talk about today, is if lukewarm means kind of in the middle, you know, not passionful, that also means that we've thought that the idea of being hot, Jesus says, be hot or cold. That means the idea of being hot would be like on fire for Jesus. You love church, you wear all the fun, cheesy Christian t-shirts and stuff, and you show up to church and you raise your hands and you are on fire for Jesus, which is awesome. And that has always been our idea of, oh, if you're lukewarm, you're in the middle. If you're hot, you love Jesus. But if you're cold, then you are against Jesus. You want nothing to do with him. But that doesn't actually make much sense, even though that's what we've all thought or been taught for a long time. Because if Jesus is saying, choose either hot or cold, don't be lukewarm, Jesus would not be someone to say that because Jesus would not say, love me or hate me, don't be in the middle. Jesus would never tell us to hate him. So what is he talking about when he's talking about these three temperatures, lukewarm, hot, and cold? Now again, Jesus is kind of a genius communicator in the way that he's talking to the people in Laodicea at the time because he says this because it makes clear sense to them. If we look at the geography again, we know that there's the three cities close by, Colossae, Aeropolis, and Laodicea. Now Aeropolis was famous for their hot mineral water, which was very healing, and people would travel far and wide to come and lay in these pools of hot mineral water. And Colossae, the other city, was known for their very cold and refreshing water. 
Laodicea did not have their own water resource, yet they had these two water resources from the nearby cities come together and meet at this beautiful waterfall in Laodicea. And as they traveled over this waterfall, they would actually travel over something called calcium carbonate. So by the time it got to Laodicea, it would fall off this beautiful waterfall, and people would look at it and think it looked great. But if you actually tasted it, it's traveled over this carbonate, and it's hot water and cold water mixing, and it actually becomes this lukewarm water that looks good, but if drinking, would leave you feeling nauseous, and you would throw up or spit it up. It was useless and unhelpful. So Jesus, when he says, pick one, be hot or cold, he's not saying, love me or hate me. He's saying, be refreshing and useful like the cold waters in Colse, or be healing and helpful like the hot mineral waters in Aeropolis, but do not be useless and lukewarm and make people nauseous like the water that you have. This is a very clear teaching from Jesus that is very understandable for the people in Laodicea at the time. The Laodicean water actually makes people spit up and throw up, and Jesus even said in the verse we read over there, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. They understand that clearly. Now, the idea of being lukewarm is the greatest form of blasphemy. Because the idea of being lukewarm, the idea of like knowing Jesus but being passionless, is basically you saying that faith in Jesus and that the works that Jesus has done is not worthy of passion and praise and living a life of zeal. Jesus does not want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be useful and helpful and have a real relationship with him. When Jesus was living, and Jesus even today, Jesus always produces certain things. Jesus produces hatred, terror, or adoration in the people that come across him. But one thing that Jesus never proves is mild approval. Nobody is ever, eh, when it comes to Jesus when he was living on earth. It was either hatred, terror, or adoration. And mild approval, that whole, eh, that idea, is what plagued the church in Laodicea. And that is something that plagues a lot of our lives in churches today. A lot of us are very just, meh, yeah, I know Jesus. I have a relationship with him, but there's no passion. There's no, there's, there's no excitement there. It's a little bit lukewarm. Now, Jesus saying he will spit them up seems aggressive. If Jesus said, I want to spit you out of my mouth to us, I would probably cry and I would be upset because that is an aggressive message. Jesus is making a great threat to Laodicea, but Jesus' greatest threat out of these seven messages partners alongside his greatest invitation to the church in Laodicea and to us. Jesus continues in his letter with verses 17 and 18. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salvia to put on your eyes so you can see. This is the greatest threat that Jesus makes. He's already said that he will spit them up, but now he's using these weird descriptive words. He's calling them wretched and pitiful. He's saying they are poor, blind, and naked, which seems like three weird insults to throw at someone. You are poor, blind, and naked. That is the worst it can get. But again, Jesus is communicating with them in such an awesome way. He says they are poor, blind, and naked. They understand that clearly because what do we know about the city of Laodicea at the time? The city of Laodicea actually had kind of this slogan, this line that the city held on to, 
And it was the idea of I need of nothing. That was the slogan that Laodicea held on to, I need of nothing. Laodicea had lots going on. They were a very successful city. They were known for their wealth. The city of Laodicea at the time would have had some of the most amazing, biggest vaults and banks full of gold and money that you could have had back then. It's even known that there were many people and cities and cultures and communities that would travel to Laodicea to ask for financial aid. And Laodicea was able to bless these people and help them out financially. They can help others. They need of nothing. I need of nothing, Laodicea says again. So we know that they were known for their wealth. We know that they were known for their medicine. They were known for their medical advancements that they were making. They, they had some of the smartest people working on this, and, and the people would travel far and wide to receive healing. But something that was most popular for them was the salve that they would put on eyes, and they actually were to, able to heal eyesight. They didn't need other people's medical advancements. They had their own. They need of nothing. Laodicea says, I need of nothing. They were also known for their very nice and expensive clothes. They lived in a community and an area where they had access to expensive clothes. And because they had money and they cared about how they looked on the outside, they focused on the clothing that they would wear. They wanted to dress nice. So we know that they have money, they have medicine, they have nice clothes. But Jesus is saying that they are lukewarm on the inside. It's starting to sound like the waterfall that looks beautiful but makes people nauseous. So Jesus is again communicating brilliantly. They care about wealth, they care about the healing of the eyesight, they care about clothes. So what does Jesus say to them in that verse? You are poor, blind, and naked. He totally contradicts the three things that they are known for and hold so closely to them. They're known for their wealth, medicine, and clothes, but Jesus is saying, what does that matter if you just have the worldly possessions, if there's nothing going on in your spiritual world, if you are spiritually asleep and not in relationship with me with passion, then sure, you have this money and clothes and medicine, but guess what? You are poor, blind, and naked, and that's what matters most. Spiritually, they are asleep. That's why God says they're pitiful and worthy, and they're pitiful and worthy of being spat up. This is his greatest threat that he's made. But again, Jesus does not make a great threat without, without pairing it with a great invitation. Jesus continues in his letter in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now when we're reading this in our language, it seems like Jesus has changed his tone very quickly here. He's been pretty aggressive and sounding angry towards them. And then quickly he says, but it's because I love you. But if we look at the original Greek text, it's not actually that quick of a change of tone because the first words, even though they are stern, they're not angry. If you look at the Greek language, they're actually, every word in this passage here is actually ending with O-S. And in the Greek language, that would be the sound of compassion. So we know that Jesus was speaking to them with compassion and love. And yes, it's stern, but sometimes you have to do that. Are there any parents in the room that can relate to that right there? Sometimes you have to speak sternly, but it's from a point of love. And your kids don't understand it sometimes and they think you're just mean and angry. But guess what? When we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at relationship with Jesus, a lot of the times we are the kids that just don't understand and get a little frustrated. But Jesus, like the parent, is loving and doing what's best for us. So he tells them, I love you, rebuke and discipline, change your ways now. He's speaking compassionately. 
Jesus ends off this letter with verses 19 to 22. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks sternly to them, but then he offers this invitation. Jesus is at the door knocking on the hearts of these people. Jesus is showing great grace here, because even though he's angry, even though he calls them poor, blind, and naked, we read in the last passage that that he says, buy, come and buy these white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Buy gold refined in my fire so you can become rich. Jesus relates to them again. He says, guess what? You are poor, blind, and naked, but I am full of grace and I am going to open up my heavenly shop for you to come buy things because that is something that makes sense to them. Jesus makes this great invitation. He is knocking on the door. I mentioned earlier that this is the most famous of all the letters mainly because of the, the idea of the lukewarm Christian, that, that, that idea. But it's also very famous because there was an incredibly famous painting that was well known. And it was this painting that was coming from these couple scriptures that we just read about the knocking on the door. And it's this painting of Jesus knocking on the door, and whoever it is, it's going to be you, but you are on the other side of the door. But this door only has one handle, and the handle is on the inside. It's this whole idea that Jesus is knocking on the door. He's not barging through the door because you have the handle. You have to make the decision to open up that door. Jesus is making an incredible invitation to you. He wants you to open up the door. And he says, when you open up the door, I will come and eat with you and you will sit on the throne with me. We're not worthy to sit on the throne with Jesus. but, But he makes that invitation to us full of grace and full of love. But this idea of us standing on the other side of the door and not opening it for Jesus, this is the root cause of being lukewarm. This is the root cause of you as a Christian or a church falling into the, to feeling lukewarm, to being meh, is because you're excluding Jesus. Excluding Jesus is the root cause of lukewarmness. So this church in Laodicea was standing on the other side of the door, not opening up the door to Jesus. They were excluding him, and this is what caused them to become useless. We need to include Jesus in our life. And what grace Jesus is showing here by knocking on the door of our heart and inviting us to come eat with him and sit on the throne. This is the love of Jesus. No matter what we're doing, he says, hey, I don't care what you're doing. I'm gonna, I actually, I love you so much that I'm not gonna just sit up there and watch, but I'm gonna come down to John and I'm gonna tell him this letter that I want you to read because I want to encourage you. I want to make you aware of what you're doing wrong. He doesn't just watch, but he actually steps in and helps us. So he tells them what they're doing wrong, and then he invites them into this love with him. Open the door, and I will sit, and I will eat with you. That is Jesus' love and Jesus' grace. He wants to be a part of our lives. Jesus does not want us to exclude him. He wants us to open the door and be with him. Jesus says he will come in and he will eat with you and they with me. Jesus wants to be very close to us. Laodicea at the time had this door up and they weren't opening it. They wanted to make sure everything looked perfect on the outside. They had their clothes, they had their medicine, they had their money, they had all these things 
But just like they had this beautiful waterfall that people would come and travel far to see, it looks great, but as soon as you dive under the surface a little bit, as soon as people would drink from this waterfall, they feel that this is horrible. This is not right. They feel nauseous. They want to spit it back up, just like Jesus is saying, you are like them. Jesus said, you are like the water. You make me nauseous. I want to spit you up. They had all of the money and wealth and, and clothes and medicine, yet they were poor, blind, and naked. It looked great on the outside, but they were spiritually asleep on the inside because they were excluding Jesus. So what can we do in our lives? We have to include Jesus. We have to be willing to hear Jesus knocking on the door, be aware that he's not going to barge into our lives, that he actually is so loving and kind that with love there has to be choice. So he doesn't just force the door open, but he just keeps knocking and saying, I love you, I'm here, I'm waiting for you to accept me. C.S. Lewis has this awesome verse that I think really helps understand this part right here. He says this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right, and he is stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making extra courtyards. You thought you were building a little cottage, but he is building a palace and intends to live in it himself. Jesus is knocking on the door, and Jesus does not want to be excluded from your life because just like Laodicea, when we exclude Jesus from our lives, we think we can get ourselves all put together. We think we can make ourselves rich and have nice clothes and and have all this medicine and, and look so good on the outside. But with Jesus, there is more. So when, when C.S. Lewis says, you were building a cottage, Laodicea was building a little cottage. They thought it was grand and they thought it was awesome. But Jesus is saying that if you actually let me in and be a part of your life, if you let me be a part of your church, part of your city, Laodicea, a part of your city and a part of your church, Comox Valley, I am actually wanting to come in and partner with you and build a palace. This beautiful place for the kingdom of God where Jesus himself intends to live. He intends to live with us. Jesus wants to be with us. So the question today is that we know Jesus is knocking on the door. We know he wants our lives to be full of passion. He knows he wants us to be useful and include him in our lives. When we're passionate about something and when we love something, it overflows and we share it. So if you love Jesus and are passionate about your relationship with Jesus, then it can't be lukewarm. It has to be hot or cold. It has to be refreshing or healing. It has to be useful and beneficial. It has to overflow and pour out of your life. The passion that you have for Jesus has to be obvious to the people who know you best. For some of us, maybe today we have to make that decision to say, I'm going to let Jesus in. Maybe I have built up this little cottage that I like, but Jesus is actually wanting to build a palace and partner with you and live with you. So the question for us today is, are we going to open the door? We have the handle on our side. Jesus is not going to barge into our lives. He wants to be a part of our lives, but he's waiting for us to open the door. So he stands there knocking, telling you how much he loves you. 
Jesus is knocking on the door of your life. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him into your life today? Will you let him turn the cottage into this beautiful palace that Jesus will use for the kingdom of God? Thank you, Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care so much about us, that you deliver these letters, that you don't just stand by and let us fail or make mistakes, but you actually care, Jesus. You intercede in our lives. Thank you for this letter that you wrote to the church in Laodicea. Thank you for how practical it is today. Jesus, with love there is choice and you want us to make that decision. So you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock and you knock and you don't give up, but you stand there and you knock and you tell us you love us and you take care of us no matter what, no matter whether we love you back or no, no matter whether, whether we reject you. Jesus, you keep knocking. You keep chasing after us. You love us and you want relationship with us. So I pray right now for anyone in this room today that feels like that door is closed. To anyone who feels like they have that door closed off, Jesus, may your spirit fall fresh on them right now. May there be this motivation and inspiration and this desire and saying, I want to have a passionate relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be lukewarm. May some doors be opened today, Jesus. May people in this room let you into their lives today, Jesus. May some cottages in this church today be turned into grand palaces that you live inside. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. In your name, we pray. It's at this time that I'm going to invite the prayer team up to the front. If you would like to receive some prayer today, it's important to do so. So make sure you come up to the front and receive some prayer before you head out today. We're going to keep this space with some piano going and prayer team up. And, and just another reminder that next week for church, we are going to be having our 9 and 11 service times back on if you are a youth, go downstairs to the fellowship hall right now for some breakfast. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And it is at this time that we will have a formal dismissal. Enjoy your Sunday.